thought for a moment we weren't going to have any. And uh, then like buses, they all come along. That was great. Before I start preaching, just want to just highlight a couple of things. The first one uh, is Ash Burnham. Just want to say it's really important that as many of us as possible go along to Ash Burnham 2017. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, spending time with God individually. You know, I found that whenever people, Christians, have set aside time to spend with God, God has always blessed them, met with them, encouraged them. Always happens. I'm always slightly amazed when they say at the end, God, I've had a great few days. I know you've had a great few days. It's because you've stopped doing everything else in your busy lives and spent time with God. And guess what? God has met with you and blessed you. Second thing is it's great to be together. It's good to be together on a Sunday morning. But when you go away for three, four days, you get to be together lasting at night, first thing in the morning, in your pajamas, around the campfire, having a glass of wine, whatever else. There's nothing quite like something, an event like this to build church. And then thirdly, you know, to catch the bigger vision. I mean, even just hearing some of those testimonies today, you catch a little bit of what God is doing around the world. And it's exactly the same when we gather at somewhere like Ashburnham, because there are a number of churches from New Frontiers, from our part of the New Frontiers family called New Ground there. We capture something of what it is to be part of the bigger thing. We got a great theme this year, Make a Difference. So we're looking at how we're called to make a difference for God in every area of our lives, whether that's at home or at work or families. We've got an equipping track. We've got 24-7 prayer room. We've got great speakers, fantastic worship, top-notch children's work, youth work, afternoon seminars by these four great organizations, Homes for Goods, Compassion, Jubilee Plus, Center for Social Justice, sports stuff in the afternoon, late music. You can even end the day having a beer and listening to some live music if you really want to. This year, we're going to go for a picnic. We're going to try and get 2,000 people having a picnic all at once. And we're even going to dig up some of the sacred Ashburnham ground by the lake and build a massive bonfire. That's massive, I tell you. We've had to talk to Ashburnham about that. It looks like Oscar and Bibi from Mexico are going to come over second half of August to be with us and come to Ashburnham. It also looks like Tonga and Joy from Zimbabwe are going to be with us. So not only can we go spend time with God, we get to go as a church. We as a church get to spend time with other churches and we get friends from overseas around the world to be with us as well. So this event only goes on once every two years. So we're not going to Ashford, uh, Offord Manor this year. This is it. This is our big event. So it's important. And, you know, it starts with you and I making the decision, I'm going to go. Putting dates in the diary, arranging other things around it, getting over those obstacles like, I don't like camping. Guess what? Most of us don't like camping. But we get over it. Why? Because we want to be together. We want to be with God. We get over obstacles like, but I don't know how to cook. Well, you know what? There are people in the church that can help you to cook. You can live off canned food, fast food for three days. It's fine. Uh, won't be a problem. Get over the obstacles like I can't afford it because we as a church have a camping code that you can get from the newsletter or talk to Tim, in which case you can book your place and you haven't got to pay anything. And nearer the time as a church, we'll have an offering to cover the cost of us going. So we really are wanting to say whatever the obstacle is for you that you think why you can't go, whether it's money or camping or anything else, we will help you to solve those obstacles. There is no reason why all of us can't go. All right, we'll see. 
There is no reason. We're working hard to make sure there's no reason. It's important that as many of us go as possible. Second thing I just want to say is that this week, this week coming, we've got a week of prayer, starting off 2017 with a week of prayer. And the details are in this booklet, which you'll find on seats somewhere near you that Tim's put together. And basically, there are prayer meetings going on this week. The three most key ones are Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night from 8 to 9.30. Okay, there are other prayer meetings going on, 7 o'clock Monday morning. The men are going to pray at their breakfast, 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. Ashley's doing a 24-7 prayer room on Saturday. Those are all great opportunities, but please, if you go to one of them, don't count that as your time to come and pray. What we'd love is for everyone in the church to come to at least one of those evenings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 8 till 9.30 p.m. And, and on those evenings, we're going to be covering everything that we're looking at doing as a church under those headings of building the church, sharing the gospel, serving the community, reaching the nation. So it's crucial that we gather and we pray. Nothing is achieved without prayer. Nothing gets achieved in the kingdom of God unless God's people come together and pray. A number of you have risen to the call to fast and pray for the church throughout this month. A number of you have said, yep, yeah, I'm happy to pray and going to pray for a day a week or once or twice throughout January. And that's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. It's not too late. If you were asleep over December when I was saying it, it's not too late. You can join in. Just email me and I'll send you some details. But I believe the Bible teaches us that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. There is no substitute. There is no alternative to prayer. If we want to see God move in this area and in this church in the year 2017, it begins with us praying. It begins with us praying. That is how it is. That's how it's always been. That's how it will always be. I don't know why God designed it like that. I can't in some way see the sovereign wisdom. I don't know why God would restrain himself to moving sometimes, but he has done. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. If my people who will call on my name will humble themselves and cry out to me, then I'll turn and heal their land. It's there in Scripture. It's as we come together and pray. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, 8 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. down at Amy Road. Ignore the fact that it's a little bit smelly because of a bit of a water leak that we had. We come together and we pray and we believe that we'll see God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Who's coming to Ashburnham? All right. Who's coming to pray? All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's... uh, See what we want to look at this morning. I can't, I can't read my Bible. I can't read my Bible. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have any effect on my spiritual health if I'm not there when the church gathers. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect the church at all doesn't affect my spiritual health, doesn't affect the spiritual health of the church. If when we gather, I'm not there. I'm just not a witness. I'm, I'm just not a witness. I just can't do that evangelism thing. 
I'll come back to those in a minute. Last uh, year, we spent time looking at a culture of community and a culture of mission in the church. And it's important that we carry on putting those things in place throughout this year. But between now and the summer, what we want to focus on is the third of the four cultures that we're looking at growing, which is a culture of discipleship. The fourth one is a culture of prayer. We're going to be looking at the third one, which is a culture of discipleship. And we're going to use between now and summer because, and take a little bit longer because in many ways this is a key one. This is the one which really the other ones are all outworked from. And so uh, in February, we're going to go, begin going through Mark's, uh, Matthew's gospel, which is the account of Jesus' life, the one whom we are looking at building our lives upon. And so this morning, what I really want to do is set the scene for you in terms of discipleship, in general terms. And I want to look at those three statements that I made at the beginning because God gave them to me and challenged me with them before Christmas. They were kind of, they came in that form, three, three lies. I can't read the Bible, it doesn't matter if I'm not there, I can't witness. And the question that God gave is, have you believed any of these? That was the kind of challenge. And I believe that through these three statements, God is wanting to begin to challenge us in terms of our own personal devotional and our own personal discipleship, our own personal following of him. And we know that when God challenges us, it's not because he wants to condemn us, it's because he loves us and he wants us to grow and he's willing to supply what we need in order to grow in whatever area he is highlighting. God didn't challenge Carrie in terms of financially, because he wanted to condemn her, he wanted her to grow. He wanted her to be able to have the testimony that said, you know what, we prayed and I wasn't sure and da-da-da, but we did it. And guess what? God came through. It's because he wants us to grow in these areas that he challenges us in terms of discipleship. And really that is what many, in many ways what discipleship is about. It's not really much more simpler or more complicated than that. It's when God speaks, will we believe him, will we trust him, will we follow him, will we grow? So that is really what we are looking at this morning. So let me pray and then I'll kick off. Father, we thank you. We thank you for those testimonies that came earlier. We thank you, Lord, that in amongst them there was testimonies of financial provision, testimonies of healing, testimonies of salvation. Lord, testimonies, testimonies, testimonies. Testimonies that we can say that as we trusted you, so you were faithful as to who you are. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, as we open up this subject of discipleship, following you, being more like Jesus, you would speak to each and every heart here, Lord, because we know that in this year ahead, you want us to grow in you. So we say, Holy Spirit, come and open up our hearts, come and open up our eyes. We say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good. Did you have a good Christmas, by the way? Do you like my new Christmas shirt? Got a new Christmas you know, top as well. That's how it is this time of year. I actually bought this shirt this time last year because my mother and father-in-law give me some money. I go down and buy the bits cheap, half price, half price, put it away. Come Christmas Day, opened it up. What a lovely shirt. Oh, I really like that one. It's a great idea, isn't it? It's fantastic. We went shopping just a few days ago, bought a whole load of stuff, half price, half price, put them away. This time next year, I'll be standing here in a lovely pair of brown shoes. <laughs> lovely pair of brown shoes. I got my eye on them. 
like storing things up in heaven. You know, and one day, one day I'm going to enjoy that. But not yet. No, there's something in the waiting. So discipleship. Discipleship is about becoming more like Jesus. Shock horror. Discipleship is about becoming more like Jesus. Let me say some things. Number one, God wants us to be more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul said these amazing words. Hopefully they'll come up on the screen behind us in Philippians 1, 21 to 23. Paul said this, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And what Paul says here only makes sense if your goal is to follow, to be with, to be like Jesus. So Paul says, while he's here on earth, the focus, the reason, the everything in his life is going to be Christ Jesus. And therefore, when he stops breathing and dies, he considers that a gain because he's actually going to go and be with the one who he spent his days on earth following, serving, and becoming like Jesus. So he says personally for him, he would rather die because that means actually being with Jesus. But he knows that actually he can be more helpful and fruitful to other believers, to other believers if he stays alive on this earth. Is there anybody here who can honestly say this morning that they would rather die with, and be with Jesus, but for the sake of other believers or other people who are yet to be believers, they would, they would rather stay here? I think that's a massive challenge. Right there, I think there's a massive challenge. That's what Paul says. So he says, I'm torn. I'm torn, he says. In a way, Paul cuts right to the heart of the matter in terms of discipleship and what it means. It means that following Jesus, knowing him, being known by him, listening to him, obeying him, doing what he wants rather than what we want, lining up our thoughts, our actions is more important to us than anything else. Than anything else. And anything else includes everything like security and comfort and recognition and status and pleasure and rights and money. According to Paul, even whether it is better to live or to die, everything else bows at the knee of knowing Jesus better. So discipleship is not about making Jesus important. It's not, it's not about playing our part. It's about making Jesus the most important person in our lives. Not, not somewhat important. Not on a par with other things. It is about saying Jesus is number one and everything works out from there. Taking every false idol... Every false God off the throne of our lives and putting King Jesus in his rightful place. Putting him on the throne of our lives 
and then living as one of his subjects, rather than living trying to make the world around us fit into how we think the world should be, to line up with what, how we want it to be. No, no, it's about saying, no, Jesus is on the throne, and I am going to line up my life to whatever he says as the great king. The Apostle Paul kind of understood that God wanted Jesus to be the focus of Paul's life, to be the very reason, to be both the journey and the destination. That God had this blueprint for what he wanted Paul to be like, think like, act like, and that blueprint was Jesus. How Jesus was, was how God wanted Paul to be. What God wanted Paul to do was whatever Jesus told Paul to do. Paul understood this so completely that he could say honestly, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And you can only say that if genuinely your whole reason for being starts and ends with Jesus. So Paul knew discipleship was at heart about God wanting to make us more like Jesus. And the reason is because Jesus, secondly, is the perfect example, the perfect model of how God wants men and women to be. God wants to make us like Christ because Jesus was that perfect example of how he always wanted human beings to relate to him how he wanted us to think, how he wanted us to act, how he wanted us to be with one another. Now, it's true. When Jesus came and began teaching, he he challenged, he deepened, he expanded people's understanding of what it meant to follow God, to be a follower of God, to be one of God's disciples. For example, they thought, they thought that not committing murder in the, uh, as given by one of the Ten Commandments was, not about, was about not unlawfully killing someone. And Jesus came to say, no, no, if you have desired to kill that person, if you like, in your heart, then it's like you've committed the murder. He expanded, he challenged, if you like, people's understanding. But, you know, it wasn't new information. It wasn't... It wasn't new. It's not like people before Jesus came had no idea of what God wanted people to be like. Yes, Jesus challenged, expanded, but God had always told people what he wanted them to be like. Starting with Adam, right the way through the patriarchs, right the way through into the nation of Israel, God had told them what it was that he wanted. I go through the the Bible, kind of, I do a bit of Old Testament, a bit of New Testament, If you come to my discipleship track, I'll show you. Um, But anyway, uh, as Kevin was getting his hints in for his one, I thought I'd just get my one in for my one. I I go through the Bible, and and before Christmas in the Old Testament, I got to the book of Job. I can tell some of you have got to the book of Job as well. Sometimes in the book of Job, it's not easy. Sometimes it's not particularly uplifting. But because it's the word of God, it's always fascinating. Always fascinating. And the book of Job is really old, written some thousand, between a thousand and two thousand years before Jesus. None of the New Testament written. Much of the Old Testament hadn't happened. Much of it not written down that Job's friends would have had. And yet what I found fascinating was that these friends of Job, they knew what God wanted in terms of people following God. 
they, they got lots of things wrong. They were wrongly blaming Job for the situation that Job was in. They were wrongly applying what God wanted to Job. But the amazing thing is this. They had a clear understanding of what God wanted. It struck me one day. Just listen to what one of Job's friends says. Job 22, 21 to 22. It'll hopefully come up behind us. <coughs> Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instructions from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, he's talking about gold, your, your gold of offer to the rocks in the ravens, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You'll pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and the light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. I'll read that bit again. When people are brought low and you say, follower of mine, to me, lift them up, then God will save them, the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Basically, they tell Job, this is how God wants people to be. Verse 21, submit to God. Verse 22, lay up God's word in your heart and live by it. Verse 23, forsake wickedness. Verse 24 to 26, find your delight in serving God rather than in gold or material wealth. Verse 27, pray and obey. Verse 29 to 30, be concerned and do something about sinners. Now, if that is not an accurate summary and description of what Jesus modeled, then I don't know what is. And this is stated by three friends of Job who are getting it wrong who lived hundreds of years before Jesus came, who had very limited access to any part of the Bible as we know it, who weren't speaking as inspired by some prophet. They were talking out of what they knew. They're actually arguing wrongly about what's going to happen. At the end of Job, they only get saved from God's wrath because Job prays for them. And yet even back then, with their wrong motives and their limited understanding, these three guys knew what it was to follow God. <laughs> They knew it. They said it. They could quote it. This is what God wants. Because God has always been clear right through Scripture, right through history, from Adam to Abraham to Moses to Joseph to John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes as this perfect example, this perfect model of what God has always wanted. And that is why God wants all Christians to be like Jesus. Because Jesus modelled exactly what God has always wanted. So when we see parts of scripture like this that set out someone saying how God wants us to be, we just need to ask the question, was Jesus like this? Did Jesus submit to God? Did he live by God's word? Did he shun wickedness? Did he serve and love God rather than wealth? <laughs> Jesus didn't own a thing. When he needed to pay taxes, his father had to get a gold coin in the mouth of a fish so he could pay it. The Son of Man had nothing. Pray and obey. Be concerned about sinners. You can't, you can't be crucified on the cross and not be concerned about sinners. 
Yes, this is, this is what Jesus did. And therefore we are called to be the same. I found it fascinating. It really opened my eyes to the fact that God has always said this. Always stated it. When Jesus came, it wasn't like new information. It was just that here is the perfect model. Here is the one who is going to, be, who is going to do exactly as I've, I've always said I wanted people who know me to do. So therefore, you follow him. You follow him. And of course, it's not just about what Jesus did that we are to be like him in. As someone once said to me, we are human beings, not just human doings. It's what Jesus was like on the inside. It's what was going on behind the scenes, the motivation for what Jesus did. Because if you thought that doing what Jesus did was a challenge, just wait till you realize that he did all this because he had a heart to do it. He wanted to do it. He wasn't acting. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't trying to make himself do the right thing when deep down in his heart he wanted to do the wrong thing. He wasn't kind of living the Christian life through gritted teeth, trying to please God with his words and action, but internally he's got all these mixed motives and conflicting desires going on. Or maybe that's just me. This is what Jesus was really like. Jesus, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit. And Paul explains for us in Galatians 5, what does it look like when someone is full of the Holy Spirit? The fruit that the Holy Spirit is growing is fully displayed, fully manifest in their life. He says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to measure whether 2017 has been successful for you when you get to the end of it, can I suggest that these are the nine things that you measure yourself against? Have you and I grown more in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, and in self-control? These are the only true safe things that we should be measuring in a sense, ourselves by. And Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he was full of them. He didn't just display some of them. He was absolutely full of them all the time. And the reason why he displayed these wonderful fruits was because this is how God has always wanted his creation to be. This is what the Holy Spirit grows. You put the Holy Spirit inside, what, this is what the Holy Spirit grows. You put a strawberry seed in the ground, what grows? A strawberry plant. We once put a sunflower seed, I think it was, in the ground, and what grew was a strawberry plant. And we were mystified until the little red things came out. And then we realized it's because we planted a strawberry seed in the ground. You plant the Holy Spirit in fertile soil, what will be grown? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, etc. And because the Holy Spirit is making us like Jesus, because the Holy Spirit is making us like Jesus, and because this is then what Jesus is like, this is what the Holy Spirit is actively trying to grow in our lives. Of course, the wonderful news is this. God has given us 
his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. Just think of Job's three friends. They didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They knew what God wanted. They were clearly struggling to live up for it, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them to enable them to become more like Jesus. It's wonderful that God gave us the Holy Spirit, part of him as this deposit, this guarantee. We can know, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved, I'm a son of God. You asked me how, well, I said some words, yes. I felt God's forgiveness, yes. But the biggest tick I say is this, I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I've got this deposit. God's given me a down payment. There you go. I've given him to you. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. But you know, God gave the Holy Spirit to us. Yes, to make us sons and daughters. Yes, to comfort us. Yes, to be with us and steady us when we get a bit shaky. But the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus. To make us more like Jesus. To grow these fruits in our lives. To change us from the inside. So it's genuine, not just for show. Not just to impress others. To transform us from being those who look nothing like Jesus to being those who look everything like Jesus. To being those who, who are far away from him, not following him at all. To being those who are right up close and personal, following him step by step. To being those who are disobedient, to being those who are obedient. Just have you ever stopped and considered this? God not only wants us to be like Jesus, but he's actually invested part of the Godhead. He's invested part of himself in us, the mighty Holy Spirit, in order that the Holy Spirit will convince and convict and guide and show and enable us to be more like Jesus. When Christians kind of wonder if God is committed to them, can I just say something to you? There's three there's three persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father has given his Son and his Holy Spirit to us. That's how committed he is to us. That's how committed he is to each one of us. So the big question really as we start this new year is in terms of discipleship, becoming more like Jesus is... Are we going to cooperate or are we going to resist? We can resist. God will not force us. Many Christians resist. They're saved, but they're not disciples. They're saved, but they're not disciples. They're not following Jesus. Can I just say to you, if you decide to go down that path, which I don't recommend, can I just give you some bad news? The bad news is this. God will not change his mind. God is determined that you will become more like his son. He will not change what it is that he is doing or what it is that he wants to say. I know many Christians who find heaven silent to them because somewhere along the line they've decided that God must do this. God must say that. God must line up their, his thinking with their thinking. And until God does those, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to trust him. But you see, if God is wanting to make us more like Jesus, the thing about Jesus was that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the cross awaited him, he said, if there's another way, Father, next sentence, but your will, not mine. 
And therefore, Christians who are saved but decide for whatever reason, no, God, no, you've got to listen to me now. No, 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 you have to line up to listen to me now. Immediately, God will just... Because if he's making us more like Jesus and Jesus wasn't like that, then he's not going to play about with us when we're like that. He's going to say, no, 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 no. You're to listen to me. Because God's got a blueprint. He's got a model. He's got an example. And he's determined to make us like that. And that's Jesus. And in God's wisdom and his love, he will not be deflected from that goal. So my encouragement to us is to cooperate with all that God wants to do in us to make us more like Jesus. God is a kind, wonderful, gentle, powerful, effective teacher. He's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for willing hearts. God has had to teach me the same lesson time and time and time and time and time again. I should really learn the first time, but I'm a thick male human, and I often don't. I find God says to me, now come on, I'm going to teach you again. I'm going to teach you again. As long as I'm willing, i found God to be willing and able. He knows our struggles. He knows our shortfalls. He knows our fears, our difficulties. But, you know, just look at Jesus' disciples. They were such a hopeless bunch. Don't, don't make them Christian celebrities. Because when they walked with Jesus, man, they were not Christian celebrities. They were argued about who's the greatest. They were afraid. They cut off soldiers' ears. They got scared of some servant girl. They wouldn't even say that they knew Jesus, having been with him for three years. He's talking about the bread of life, and they're wondering whether he's concerned that no one's bought some food for for their picnic lunch. One of the disciples, Jesus dies, is on the cross, comes back, resurrected, stands before them. Right? Just imagine this. Jesus, been with them three years, told them, I'm going to die, hung on the cross, then I'm going to come back. It happens in front of their eyes. They come back, Jesus stands there. It's me. One of them says, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in the marks. I'd want to punch him. Wouldn't you? I'd be on my knees. Oh my goodness, Jesus, I can't believe. I'm so sorry we didn't believe you. And we ran away and we hid. And Peter, oh my, what did I say? No, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers there. This is what the disciples were like. God knows we can be like this. The truth is this. If God can make the disciples like Jesus, God can make any of us like Jesus. Once someone said to Jesus that if he was willing, he could make them well. Well, I believe that in terms of discipleship, God would say to us this morning, if we are willing, he can make us like Jesus. He is able. We just need to be willing. Let me think about those three lies that I read out at the start. Because I, want, I, I, I felt God gave me these three lies. And they may well apply to some people here. Even if they don't, I actually... I want you to understand that throughout this term, God, I believe, is going to be highlighting areas of our life that he wants us to grow in. There's no point us doing two months on discipleship if God's not going to highlight areas. What's the point? Okay, so he is, and he may well want to start now. The first one, I can't read the Bible. This was, I felt, people that either tried and given up or never really tried because they kind of believed the lie they couldn't, and so they'd written themselves off. Now, I know reading the Bible regularly can be difficult, can have challenges, finding the right time, the right place, understanding parts and the meaning sometimes. But you know what? 
If you have believed the lie that you can't read the Bible on a regular basis, then the truth is you won't even try and find solutions to overcome the difficulties because you've stated that you can't and therefore the enemy has won. And you are denying yourself the primary way that God wants to bless you, encourage you, strengthen you, challenge you, teach you, direct you, reveal himself to you, because he wants to do all that, and the primary way is through his word. And for the rest of January, the next three Sundays, Tim, Quincy, and Kevin are going to take each one of these lies, and they're going to unpack them and teach more into them. And so the first one is going to be looking at how important it is for us to read God's word. The second one was this lie that it doesn't affect our spiritual health, my spiritual health, or the spiritual health of the church if we're not around when we gather. And by gathering, I mean big church Sunday morning, small church Tuesday night at life group or at prayer meeting. And this is not about counting bums on seats, not about being a good little Christian. I'm there at church every Sunday. It's about recognizing that we need one another. It's good for our spiritual health, individually and corporately, when we worship together, pray together, share testimonies. If you didn't come this morning, you would not have been encouraged by those testimonies. Why? Because you wouldn't have been here. We need to come together. Big church, we need to come together. Small church, in a, in a life group setting where we can ask, how are you doing? How